Hey guys, welcome to the Dean Rogers Show, where we talk about real deals that we're doing and bring on awesome guests to talk about how they're finding success in their business to inspire and motivate you. Don't forget to like and subscribe. All right, see you on the show. Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Dean Rogers. Welcome back to the Dean Rogers Show. Today, we got a special guest, Sharon Vornholt. Sharon, welcome to the show. Well, I'm happy to be here, Dean. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right, awesome. Well, let's just dive right into it. So I want to just, I love asking the question, how you got started in real estate? Because everybody's got a different journey, a different way they got started, and a different way they found their path to where they're at now and the success that they found. So Sharon, how'd you get started in real estate? Well, really kind of accidentally. And going back to my childhood, my dad was a general contractor. And I like to tell people by default, I was the oldest of four children and the most well-behaved. So I got to go along on (laughs) job sites. He did a lot of commercial remodeling. So I started, you know, that's where my love of real estate started, but I worked some years in the medical field. And then I had another real estate related business. I had, I owned and operated a home inspection company for 17 years. Long about 2008, uh, I guess it was, or I'm sorry, 1998, a, a realtor came in and said, do you want to go to a RIA meeting? And I said something like, what's a RIA meeting? And uh, she took me along at that meeting. And that was really the first time that I knew you did not have to be an agent, a realtor, to work in real estate. So from that time on, from 1998, I spent almost 25 years that I've been going to those meetings. I've been learning. And uh, uh, that's how I got my start right there, working in another business and, you know, worked in real estate investing part time for 10 years before I went full time. I love that. You said some awesome stuff there. So you grew up around it and fell Mm. in love with it. Just kind of felt probably something natural to, Mm. to want to gravitate towards. And, um, and was, you said it was a friend that took you to a RIA meeting? Yeah. A realtor friend that we were, came into our world through home inspections because you meet a lot of realtors in that, that business. So yeah, she was a friend, but she was a realtor, but she happened to specialize in working with agents or with investors. She was an agent that specialized in mm. working with investors. So um, yeah, she took me to my first meeting and I just never stopped going. Yeah. And I love that. It just, <clears throat> there's such a low barrier to entry to become a real estate <laughs> investor. Mm. I mean, just starting today, you could just fumble upon someone that wants to sell their house that you might know. Mm. And voila, you can figure out putting the deal together and get it sold to someone else. And now you're an investor. So um, that's so great. And whereas a realtor, right? There's some more hoops you got to jump through. You got to get licensed. Mm -hmm. There's a process. You got to find a broker to hang your license with. Mm -hmm. Whereas an investor, you could start today. So that's pretty awesome. And uh, and not everybody knows that, right? Everybody, uh, not everybody knows that you can just get started right away and think that there's a different process to it. You have to be Mm -hmm. licensed and all of that. Yeah, and you don't. Now, there are a few areas where if you're going to wholesale, some states require you to have a license, but by and large, you don't need a license. You don't need any special training. You should have some knowledge, but there is a very low barrier to real estate, and you don't necessarily need a ton of money to get started. What you do need is a community of like-minded people. Yeah, that is the quickest way Mm -hmm. to get in the game 
and accelerate your learning. Uh, and it's just surround yourself with other people because if you're doing it yourself, you're going to have lots of questions that are just kept to yourself and it's going to take you a lot longer mm -hmm. to get ahead. And, um, yeah, that's, that's the advice I shout from the mountaintops <laughs> is go find someone who's experienced and add mm -hmm. value to them and they will in return add value to you. So, mm -hmm. um, so share, what are some of the first deals you did? Like, did you get started? Uh, from the construction standpoint and doing fix some flips or new construction or what is it that you started out with? Well, I had a loose plan in my head to do a, a fix and flip, make some money, do, or do a one or two fix and flips and buy a rental, then do rinse and repeat. And so my uh, very first deals, couple of deals were fix and flips. Now, I would say I had a little bit of an advantage though, even though somebody asked me the other day, so you were a home inspector and I said, heck no, I, I owned the business, but I, do you really see me crawling under somebody's house or getting up on a roof? <laughs> no, that's a, definitely not. But I had an advantage in that um, all the years I had that business, I went to every training. I had to know what my inspectors had to know. So I knew from um, the standpoint of inspecting a property, I was really good at that. I knew how to spot structural problems. So that side of it wasn't really hard for me. But I think what you learn along the way is that in general, rehabbing can be fun. It was fun for me because I like the creative side of it, but it can also be risky business. So it maybe wasn't the very blessed, best place to start. I would say if somebody wants to start out as a rehabber, they should probably have a partner, somebody mm -hmm. that's got more experience or, or they can have a coach, but even better, a partner that would help them and kind of fill in the gaps because you, you really don't know what you don't know. That is a golden nugget right there. And again, another thing that I I've been preaching more and more lately is, you know, cut out the mistakes and, mm -hmm. and all the, the heartache you're probably going to cause yourself by trying to do it yourself and, and thinking that you have to, I mean, mm -hmm. just the wealth of information that's out there. And at least in, in my market, the willingness and, and abundance mindset that people have, um, people are looking for other people to be a part of their circle, right? I think mm -hmm. uh, you'll find in most places, maybe not everywhere, but most places, people are looking to welcome more people into their community mm -hmm. and and grow together. And so um, if I'm someone new, I'm going to be looking for the experienced person mm -hmm. who I can see and validate like, yep, Everybody here in the community knows this person's awesome. Mm -hmm. I can see their projects. I can check them out mm -hmm. probably on social media because there's mm -hmm. a good chance that they have all their stuff there. And I'm going to bring a deal to them and we're going to do it together. And I'm going to get the mm -hmm. opportunity to learn and put in some sweat equity and, and make some money. So I love that. Well, and I think people, they automatically jump to, well, if I partner with Dean, I'm going to give up 50% of the profit. And that is true. But Dean's the one that has the experience and he's the one often that has the, the money that you need. So why would you not partner with somebody and guarantee yourself success? And maybe one day then you can be standing Dean's spot and partner with somebody that needs to learn from you. So I think it's a situation where you can do that. You can make money so much. It's safety net for sure. Huge it's safety a safety, net. huge safety net for, for the investor and it allows you to learn in a safer environment. I, I wish I had done that back then, but I didn't know to do that. That's the truthful answer. I didn't know. 
Yeah. And I think that's important what you said. It's it's understanding it and having the right mm-hmm. perspective and um awareness that like, okay, yes, I might be given 50% of the deal and someone might be whispering in your ear about that, but think about the money that you're probably you're probably going to make more money by doing that as Mm -hmm. opposed to trying to do it on yourself and making all the mistakes and potentially losing money on, on a clear cut, straightforward deal, just because (laughs) of, because of the, the amount of mistakes that you stacked up on. And another thing that's important, and I know I made this mistake on several of my first flips that I wish I hadn't was by working with that experienced person in their area of expertise, mm-hmm. they're going to know what a deal looks like. You might be trying to force a deal when the experienced investor is going to look at you sideways and say, well, mm-hmm. what are you doing here? This isn't a deal mm-hmm. and, yeah. and help steer you in the right direction to what a deal looks like, which deal is the right deal so you can protect yourself. And, and I've been mm-hmm. saying this as well. It's better to do no deal than a bad deal. So working with someone experienced can really help you there. At the end of the day, uh, real estate investing is a math problem with some strategy behind it. And how many of us were brand spanking new and we tried to say, well, maybe the repairs won't be quite that much. (laughs) Maybe the ARV is a little bit more. And I tell people, don't do eraser math. It's just straight out math. You know, it either is a deal or it isn't a deal, but you're correct that you can't know every area. So working with somebody that is uh, area specific, there is no price tag that you can put on that kind of knowledge. That's hilarious. Uh, man, how many times I just was wanting that next deal so bad <laughs> and I was willing to bend the numbers. I was, mm-hmm. I was, you know, uh, just going against physics and mathematics <laughs> and all things that made sense and were, were clear understanding. I just tried to bend those numbers. Well, maybe we'll do it for a little bit less. Well, mm-hmm. maybe we'll sell it for a little bit more. Well, the one major thing you can't change is what you bought it for. And if yep. the other things that follow, how much it's going to take to fix up and maybe some surprises and what you can truly sell it for, uh, you can't just make up those numbers. So that's that's funny. <laughs> well, another thing too, somebody asked me the other day, said, what was your worst deal you ever did? And I said, well, quite honestly, I remember it like it was yesterday. Knock on wood, I'd never lost money on a deal. But I came close one time. The realtor actually made more money than I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't anticipate. It was a it was a deal that was, um, it had a, on the low end of acceptable profit. You know, that one that makes you a little bit nervous. And then I didn't know, we talk about area specific. We need to know what's customary for your area. I did not know that people getting this certain type of loan it was expected that the seller, I was the seller, pay all the closing costs. Mm. I did not know that. And the realtor that was involved in the deal didn't say, well, Sharon, we can raise the, the price of the property and you can still pay all the closing costs. That was not something that was ever mentioned to me, but I didn't know what I didn't know. It was one of my first deals. And literally I made money, a few thousand dollars on that deal. But by the time I paid the agent that sold the property and the uh, paid all of the sellers uh, costs associated with their loan. I was kind of scratching my head at the end of that one. Didn't make that mistake again, though. That's funny. I, uh, I will be uh, the first to admit I have gotten my fair share of spankings uh, mm-hmm. by just 
things that could have been avoided had mm-hmm. uh, I'd done some obvious things. It, w- it was always in the situation where I was wanting to do that next deal and was willing to just kind of no- ignore some obvious things mm-hmm. that you should do from a due diligence standpoint and uh, came back to bite me in the butt. So Mm-hmm. Um, so you're fortunate not to <laughs> have had to <laughs> experience that pain, but, um, I have touched the fire and gone back and touched fire again. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you never want to need a deal. You yes. don't want to need a deal. That's the other thing. That's, that's, you're going down a really rocky road there. Yes. Preach it. Preach it. Yes. <laughs> you don't want to need a deal because then you're going to force stuff that, uh, mm-hmm. you shouldn't do. So, all right. Well, um, Sharon, you got into doing some deals and fix some flips and like, where, where did that take you? I mean, what, what has your journey been since then? Well, I bought, you know, I bought some, uh, I bought a few rentals. Um, 2008 was kind of brutal on me. And, and in 2008, I was fixing and flipping a lot, a lot of properties, doing a lot of rehabs. And I had a couple of properties and you know, the market just were, were you in the market then boy, it was brutal. Yeah. Um, so I had these properties and a retail buyer could not get a mortgage. And just like that wow. overnight, I became an um, accidental wholesaler. It's funny when I look back now and think that I'd been in the business for 10 years and had never wholesaled a single property, but uh, it was literally my salvation because I just called up some uh, investors. I knew that still had W2 jobs, good corporate W2 jobs, but they were investing. They had a big investing business. And I just said, do you want to buy some some houses. And he said, well, heck yeah. And I thought, boy, was that easy, but it, wholesaling is not really that easy. It was easy <laughs> because I'd known people for 10 years. I knew yeah. the numbers and they were good deals. So then I just went ahead and went forward with wholesaling. And over time, about that same time, 2008 was when I found probates. And that's when I just dove headfirst into probates and lead generation and perfected that system of doing that. Okay. Well, tell me about probates because I love probates. Mm. Probates are the, uh, not the fountain of youth, but the fountain of leads. They just, (laughs) you know, keep coming and uh, uh, it's part of life. People pass away. And so Mm -hmm. probates is a big part of the real estate market and, um, and how wealth is transferred. And so tell me about probates. I mean, how'd you get into probates and uh, what is it that you do that you specialize in probates? Well, I got I got into it by accident. I, you know, I found a deal that was a probate deal. Nobody in my area, I'm in Louisville, Kentucky, nobody was working probates. There was literally no information on probates. And wow. I just started digging into it. And little by little, it dawned on me that it was an endless stream of, of leads. But you had to learn. I didn't know initially how do you, how do you approach these people? You know what's the best mail piece? What you know what what are the words that should go on the paper from a marketing perspective? But I found that it was a very easy niche for me to work in. I found it easy, very rewarding because these people genuinely they need our help. Mm-hmm. So what I needed to do was learn the process. And across the country, I know you're in California. So California is a little bit of a different animal in some ways. But in most states, it's a very straight line process. Somebody passes away, the estate is opened, and either there's been an executor named 
if there's a will or if there's no will, then the court appoints an administrator. Those are jointly referred to as the personal representative. Well, in almost every state, the next thing that happens is the, the assets are sold. That includes any property in the estate. Like I said, some, some states have different rules about appraisals and things like that. But in Kentucky, that's when you can buy the house. And it's the way that way in most places around the country. So if you stop and think about that, someone passes away, they open the estate, the court, you know, this decided who's the decision maker, I call them. Who's the, who's the executor? Who can sign on the dotted line? Or who's the personal representative? Then the next thing is that house can be sold along with boats or whatever else is what happened to be in the state that was going to be sold. Then the next thing that happens is the creditors are paid. So the creditors are anybody that money is owed to. It could be credit card bills. It could be some older people uh, take out home equity lines of credit. They do all kinds of weird things. Um, it, it's, it would certainly be hospital bills, nursing home bills, funeral expenses, all of those things. So the creditors are paid. And then if you'll notice that you've got people that stand to inherit, they are way down on the very bottom of the list. So that's why the heirs are motivated to sell the property. Now, one thing that gets confusing for people is they think they have to wait till the estate is closed to buy the property, which as you know, is not true. If it's closed, it's over folks. So you want to be up in about the middle of the process. And um, the way you know when to start marketing to these folks is when they open the estate, they're, they're raising their hand to say, we're ready to move forward. We're ready to sell the property. So that's the thing that you need to understand about probates. Yeah. And so probates, what I found um, that, again, presents just an opportunity for us to, to help these people is oftentimes... These folks don't have the resources to be able to go through the probate process, at least in mm -hmm. California. I mean, mm -hmm. shoot, going through a probate attorney and all the court and everything like that. Yeah. Uh, on the low end, you might be 5,000 bucks. On the, the mid range, you might be close to 10,000 bucks. Mm -hmm. And not everybody has that sitting around, um, especially when they're taking over properties. And most likely, if you're having a conversation, the property is going to be either outdated or actually in need of repair. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so that's why they're coming to us. It's not typical that this is a really well-kept, very nice remodeled house that they're coming to us to help with, right? It's something that it, they just realize, hey, uh, I need to go a different route. Well, and if they, even if they had the money to do that and to update the property, and make all the repairs, they don't want to use their money. Mm. So they're looking, if if they're having a conversation with you, they're looking to get rid of the property. And what I have found at probate closings, and this is a honestly a true statement, I have gotten more hugs at probate closings than any other type of closing. <laughs> because these people are so grateful that you can help them. Like you said, they've got these expenses. They may have bills coming in. Uh, if you're in a hot climate, you've got grass to cut. If you're in a cold climate, you've got to keep the heat on. You've got to, you've got all this money that has to be paid by someone. And you, honestly, they don't have it. And if someone passes away and there's a mortgage payment, the, your average person does not have in their bank account funds to keep two houses going, two, two mm -hmm. mortgage payments, two of everything. 
So they can be very motivated. And I think our job is to find out what, what exactly do they need? Now you said they may need help with the probate. They almost always need help cleaning out the house. You just got to find out what that is. And the easiest way when you're talking to them, if you can't get them moving along, I think it's just to say, what, what is it that would help you move forward with this process? Ask them a very open-ended question. They might say, we don't have the money to, uh, to take care of the probate, or there are back taxes owed on the house, or there are code violations. They, they don't know that these are all solvable problems and that once they know that we can help them solve the problems, then we are like their savior. Truly. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's what's so great about most entrepreneurs and real estate investors is they're problem solvers, right? That's how mm -hmm. we're able to find success is we see opportunities, we see problems, we go out and solve those mm -hmm. and create solutions for them. And that's where when you get in these probate deals, oftentimes there's different pieces of the puzzle that need to come together. And as you learn the process, that's where we can come in help solve mm -hmm. that problem and put a deal together. So yeah. um, that's so cool. So you you do help and teach other people how to invest in probate deals, right? I do. I do. I I've, have different ways that I, you know, I certainly, I talk about it a lot on my podcast. So I've got a ton of free stuff on the blog and the podcast, but I do have a course called Probate Investing Simplified. And my goal with that was simply to, to show people that this was um, a way to generate an endless stream of leads for their business, in addition to whatever they may like doing something else. They may like short sales or people like different things. And I'm not saying it has to be an all or nothing thing, although I do believe it should be part of any business, no matter what your investing strategy is. It's a lead generation uh, method. Um, but I think if you understand the process and what I like to call all the boring parts, you can understand enough terminology so that you are competent to talk to these people. You certainly have to understand marketing and how to market to them. And that's a big part of what I teach because I do believe this is different. And I do believe it's, it's a different way of putting a deal together. It's a skill that not everybody has. You got you got to be willing to listen to these folks because it, you probably know this, but it's not uncommon to go look at a property and they want to tell you about all the Christmases their mom had in this property. Oh yeah, or or whatever that is. You've got to just be patient and uh, and understand that this is where you are building this deep rapport with the seller. And another tip that I have for people is when you walk in a house, look for visual clues. You might think it's going to be awkward talking to these people, but don't you find that it's not awkward, Dean? It's not awkward at all talking to them. Nope. You just, and I'll tell people, look for visual clues when you go in. If, if you know someone's dad has passed away and you see golf clubs in the corner, just say, oh, was your dad the golfer? Or if you see cookbooks in the kitchen, oh, was your mom the cook? They might say yes, they might say no but you have opened the door for them to tell you a, a different story. So once they have told their story, then you'll know when the time is right to say, would you like to show me the property? Well, they're already friends with you by this stage. I mean, they, they've de determined uh, that they trust you in most cases. If you've been patient with them and have listened to them, they have already built um, a rapport with you 
that money can't buy. You know, you if you do this in the right way, it's a really easy niche to work in and be successful. Yeah, I love probate investing. And again, once you understand the skill set, you understand the process, mm -hmm. it's a never ending lead source. Mm -hmm. And sure, there's some competition, but competition comes and goes. So mm -hmm. if you're consistent with it, you're going to get consistent results. Um, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say, and I wanted to address the competition thing. So when you are marketing to these folks, understand that, you know, well, direct mail is the number one way to reach these folks in, in my opinion, I've been doing this a long time and it is a consistent way to reach these people. And they may have, you may have some competition on a particular property in the beginning, but statistically, 81% of your deals will come at or beyond your fifth mailing. Now, that doesn't mean they're not going to call you and that you won't get other, uh, other deals along the way, but 81%. So with that in mind, know that 90% of your competition will quit on or before the third mailing. So you just have to be the last man standing. You have to be <laughs> consistent, mail, mail every month, uh, have a message that's kind of, I'll be here when you're ready, and just be patient. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Yeah, with mail, it's it's the long game. It's not the mm -hmm. send mail once, send mail yeah. twice, hope that you get the response. It just doesn't work that way statistically. So you got to stick with it and keep mailing and be in it to win it. So that's a good message yeah. right there. That's, yeah. So talking about marketing, uh, what what is your favorite type of marketing? Um, for, I've always worked off market deals, Dean. So for me, direct mail is king. It is the best way to reach off market, uh, sellers. When I'm working with probates, I'm very particular about the mail piece. I like to use a white, uh, letter, not, not a handwritten, like a yellow letter, but on white paper, like a computer generated letter with mail merge fields so that this they know that this letter, this mail piece is sent to them. Mm -hmm. So that is the mail piece that- I you include over, any pictures or anything on it? I do not. But bear in mind, they're getting a lot of legal paperwork and they're going yeah. to open it. They get upset if they've been tricked into opening something like um, an invitation envelope or a card. When they find out that that's your marketing piece, was I've heard all about it. They don't like that. Now with professional, other, keep it professional. professional, keep it professional with them <clears throat> and that. be very, be very low key. And you don't have to change your message up a lot, but you know, my philosophy on this is people say, how long do you mail to someone? Well, my answer is until I buy the house, someone else has bought the house or they come off your list for some reason. There is yeah. maybe just no way you can make a deal. There is no five touch, 10 touch, but in general, don't, I think probates are generally, most of them are over 12, 14, 15 months today. Well, I should say pre-COVID. Some of the markets are still kind of slow, but uh, there will be a time a time on those. So you'll be putting new leads in every month and some will come off, some will be sold. And you ju you're just building this long list. Like you said, a long runway, it's a long game. But once you get this set up and you automate this process, it's really quite simple. Then your job is just to close to close these deals. Now, if you're working other types of off-market deals, um, I've had great luck with postcards. They're they're cheaper, they work well, 
but to send a postcard to someone that's lost their loved one, when I tell you they get upset, <laughs> trust me, just trust me on this one. They don't want to get a postcard saying, can I come talk to you about your estate, you know, estate of your mom. <laughs> so you've got to just use common sense with your mail piece and your message. That's, that's really good uh, feedback. So I think some people, whether they're just getting creative themselves or mm -hmm. they're looking at potential options from some mail houses or something like that. Mm -hmm. I've seen examples like, Hey, we're sorry for your loss. Um, we're, we're here to help you or, you know, we could purchase the property as is blah, blah, blah. What's your take on that? Do you even address it or are you just completely professional? Mm -hmm. Hey, we have a company, we buy houses. We're looking to buy something in the neighborhood. We can buy it with as is, no realtor fees, no commissions, that kind of language, or do you address it? What's your take? Well, you can do uh, either way. So um, I have a letter called letter one is condolences or no condolences. That's what I call it. So it, no condolences would be what just what you said, you know, I'm looking for property in your area. You can do that. I personally address the elephant in the room because I've had people really almost come through the telephone. How did you get my information? See, they kind of figured out that you know about the estate and you're skirting the issue. And in my area, it's just better. I'd rather just have that initial conversation, get it, get it over with that way too. What it does is it allows you to have a conversation where you say, um, if you're not ready to sell now, that's great. You know, I'm going to go ahead and continue mailing to you every month just to keep um, the the contact, the lines of communication open. And then when you're ready, just feel free to call. No pressure. But if they know that you're there to help them and they're not ready, I found it to be very effective mm. to do it that way. But that's not everyone's personality. And the other way is not necessarily wrong. But I think you're kind of missing the boat if you don't address it, because this is what sets you apart as the probate expert, mm. you know, see, you can show up as Mr. Anyone or Miss Anyone. And they're thinking, well, I'm in a special situation. I've got this estate to deal with, and they're not going to understand because I don't even understand what I'm supposed to do. If you can set yourself up as the probate expert in your area, then that's what I think you should do. I think you should just own it. Look, I can help you with any type of property. This is one of the things, though, that I, I specialize at, specialize in, and um, I can answer a lot of your questions. Yeah. So do you then say, in addition to sorry for your loss, do you add in, um, we understand, we've we've dealt with this situation before, we're experienced mm -hmm. in this area. Do you just address the fact that you've, you've done this, been there, done that, yeah. and here to yeah. help? Yep. Yep. And then uh, the message is always very low key. I always let mm -hmm. them know that if they need help uh, removing items from the house, cleaning out the house, they can take what they want. Mm -hmm. um, you know, people take uh, pictures, mementos, they, they look for money always. They get the things out that they want and then they look around and, you know, the, some of these people, I call them keepers. They're not really hoarders, but they've kept every butter tub. They've got stacks yeah. of little pieces of Reynolds wrap. <laughs> you know, they've got, they come from a time when maybe there wasn't a lot. So they, they've kept a lot of stuff and it might come down to, to a situation similar to when my mom passed away. I like to tell this story because my mom bought this high-end sofa. She loved that darn sofa, Dean. 
but it had zero monetary value. Nobody wanted it. And I could not bear to throw it in the dumpster. I had to somebody do it. So yeah. sometimes people just want to take what they want and then they want to walk away and be done because they'll keep going back. They'll close the door and say, oh, now I'll come next week. Then I'll come next week. And that is the thing that's holding them back from moving forward. So it's just something that, you know, we've always offered. And um, if something is donatable, it'll be donated to like a homeless shelter or something like that. But we, generally speaking, it, there's not much of any value there. Yeah, those are some great nuggets right there. Just mm -hmm. how you can connect through this professional letter to, <clears throat> you know, address the elephant in the room but come off, you know, polite, respectful, professional to where there's no pressure. Um, mm. I think that's important because again, we'll, we'll get people reach out, you know, what makes you think I want to sell my house? You know, what made you reach yeah. out? Um, mm. And it's because th there's something that triggered to them, but if you just address mm. it, then mm. there's a better chance that it disarms them and um and allows you to to take that on and that might be similar to foreclosures i don't know if you ever market the foreclosures if you have a similar approach or a different one um have you done any foreclosure marketing i ha i haven't done a lot of foreclosure work but yes to answer your question i think this is a similar approach i think I think it's a mistake personally, if you let's say that you understand the foreclosure process in your area, these people get down to the wire, their house is going to be, their, their house is going to be sold at the, here it's called the commissioner sale, it might be called the sheriff sale. Um, if you can tell them, look, I understand where you are. Let me sit down with you and see if we can't figure out a solution because we might not be able to save your property, but we can possibly save your credit. Hmm. You know, we can save you from bankruptcy. So um, there are, I think, whatever niche you decide to work in, if you don't set yourself out as an expert, if you are an expert in that, I personally think it's a mistake from a branding perspective. I mean, Dean, who do you want to do business with? The expert or the person that might kind of know what you need? You're you're honestly like setting off some, <laughs> some fireworks in my head of ideas of how I can change up some of my marketing mm -hmm. now, because we do a good job marketing. We, we do plenty of deals and all that stuff mm -hmm. but for these specific niches. Why not be the professional, the mm -hmm. distinguished professional who knows yep. exactly what to do, exactly how to help them, mm -hmm. which we clearly do when we're on the phone, because we are right. very experienced in that area, but why not just lead off with your best foot forward, mm -hmm. presenting yourself as the expert. I love that so much. Yeah. It's, it's all about branding and people uh, say, well, I'm, I'm, I don't really have a brand. I'm brand new. And the example I like to use for brand new people is walk into your next RIA meeting or your next meetup or your next whatever, and walk up to somebody, you know, Dean is a superstar. Walk up to Dean and say, Hey, I'm John and I'm brand spanking new and I'm here to learn. Well, Dean is going to remember that. So you, you, one of the biggest mistakes I made early on was not to not deciding. And it is a decision to, to brand myself. I just kind of, uh, I was the person who was kind of in the shadows over there and you don't want to be that person. You want to build your brand around yourself because your business is really the brand of you there. They may or may not remember the name of your company, that's really inconsequential, but you are the face of your business. 
And if you don't build your brand, somebody else is going to build it for you. It's going to be what they say about you. Mm. Because at the end of the day, your brand is really what people say about you and what they think about you when you walk out of the room, how you present yourself. Uh, sure, there are physical attributes to a brand, but really your brand is about who are you. Uh, you know, your football story is part of your brand. If you are coaching your kids little league team and you've done that, that's part of your brand. You know, I'm, I'm a, a real estate investor, but I also do this, or I build houses for Habitat for Humanity in my spare time. All of those things package you up and then you add the expertise. Like I'm a probate investing, a probate and uh, expert on the investor side. You just got a package that it's, it's hard to compete with that. And all you've done is present yourself in the way, because the branding is perception. You just have presented yourself in the way people uh, want to see you. And, and think about this for a minute. Marketing is how you get leads, but branding is why they choose you. Mm. So that's something you need to remember. So we're talking about being the probate expert or the foreclosure expert. Yes, I, I believe that that is what sets you apart. Man, you're getting me excited over here. <laughs> <laughs> man, that was so good. Oh my gosh. Um, man, branding is everything. And what you said right there, you used probably the perfect example because there'll be plenty of people that hear that and say, well, I've, I'm a nobody. I got nothing yeah, a to nobody. brand. Mm -hmm. And that's a missed opportunity. You have a story. Even mm -hmm. if it is as simple as I'm, I'm Joe Blow, I'm a nobody, but mm -hmm. man, I'm hungry. I'm here. I'm ready to learn and I'm ready to, to, to work with you and add value to you. Like I'm a sponge, right? Mm -hmm. Even if you're a nobody, you got a story and you got to own it and, and think about how you can build your brand and what you said about it's what people are thinking about you and the energy that they receive and everything. Mm -hmm. Is so is so powerful because like you, Sharon, like when I first started, I, I like to tell the story now. I kind of think of myself like I was the uh the wizard of Oz. I was the man behind the curtain. Like people mm -hmm. knew of me, people mm -hmm. knew I was doing deals, but it it further kind of helped that image of don't really know this guy. Who's this guy? Because I was virtual investing in my my hometown and my home kind of market but mm -hmm. I was virtual. So it made it even easier for me to just kind of stay back, mm -hmm. kind of be low key in the shadows, but man, what a missed opportunity to just come out, tell my story and create a brand in at the same time of doing deals and helping grow my community and my network and all those things. Mm -hmm. So what a, what a wealth of knowledge right there. That was so powerful. I think we've, well, not everyone has done it. Most of us have done it. We've stayed back in the shadows. When you can start to build your brand is with uh, something as simple as volunteering at your local RIA meeting. Mm. So think about this for a minute. The job nobody wants, well, in my area there, will be four or 500 people generally at a RIA meeting, just right here in Louisville, Kentucky. We have a big group. The job wow. nobody wants because they serve a buffet dinner is, is the one where you check everybody in and you get your dinner last. But guess what? You sit up there with your name tag on, you're brand new, and everybody knows your name in six months. Yep. Everybody knows your name. So volunteer. Do the 
if you don't want to do that job, do a different job, but volunteer, like Dean said, you want to give back. You want to be a resource to somebody. And in your meetup or your, or your real estate investors group, be that person. And you will be surprised at how quickly that you get known. But don't think for a minute like we did. I was guilty of it. I thought, you know, I've got nothing to give. Everybody has something to give and you need to build that story. You need to get out in front of the story before someone else creates a different story for you. You don't necessarily have to have a podcast or a blog, although I would go so far as to say long-term, you need to be creating content. Now that might be pulling out your smartphone as you walk through properties. It might be just giving tips. You need to be creating some kind of content that will build your brand. It will make all your marketing work better. Remember, they're like a married couple, marketing and branding. Mm -hmm. you, need, you need them both in order to really do well. And people used to say, it's who you know. That's not really it. It's who knows you. That's mm. what you want to build, the Ooh. awareness, the awareness of who knows you. Now, it's good to know people because you can ask things. But what good is it if they don't know you? Wow. I like that a lot. Yeah. What what good advice just again as you're you're let's just address the 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 nobody, no one who's you know doesn't have experience, doesn't have a track record, doesn't have money, right? All these different things that they're probably now showing up to these events to to obtain. And so it can be your time and your energy. Mm -hmm. And um that energy, if it's done, you know, like with a positive energy and an excited energy, people will get excited mm -hmm. and behind that. And they will want to see you win. They will, yep. they will sew into you to help see you, uh, get success and, and, um, accelerate your journey mm -hmm. to there. So, um, so, so, so much good advice. And, mm -hmm. um, man, I love talking about that topic, <laughs> marketing, branding, branding. It's just so good. So good. And you also said the thing that I just keep talking about, which is even if you're just getting started document, go on social media, do the selfie videos, mm -hmm. talk about what you're doing, even if it's struggling to just get your marketing going, or just the fact that you're going to a meetup, whatever it is, just let it be known. And people will will get attention and start to recognize you as that person who's doing that. And we all know, as you said, the people that know you is what's important rather than the mm -hmm. people you know. And so the more people that recognize you as the person doing it and getting progress is going to attract opportunities. So many. And it's just exactly what Dean said. You don't have to be high tech about this. And if you're really camera shy, which you probably wouldn't know it now, but I was horribly camera shy. Document properties that you look at. Take still shots. I know somebody that yes. got an offer of private money because he he's as low tech as they come. He would take a still shot of every ugly property he went to visit. This was a guy that at the time still had his job, his full-time job. He would drive a different route home every night. And he was always posting pictures of these ugly properties. And he would say, man, I yeah, found another really, really ugly winner today. It's just something, nothing. Yeah. But one day he went on Facebook, true story. And he said, oh, my pri private money lender is not going to get their money intact back in time to close tomorrow. Who's got some money? Do you know he had more than one offer from a stranger? Wow. Because 
he had built the reputation of being a rock solid real estate investor. True story. So just, yeah, focus on doing little things to become known. And when it comes to marketing, you're going to either have to spend your time or your money. And for most people getting started out, you've got more time than money, unless you've got a big job. So just get used to it and then gradually switch over to maybe you spend some money and then you get to the point where you're really busy and you can outsource all your marketing, which I do recommend you do, but you, you won't get there on day one. So just get a plan in your head for uh, maybe get over. If you're shy, just decide you're going to go to networking events and meet someone. And Dean made a point early. You never know who's going to have a property to sell. I'm a big advocate for going into at least one other group. Uh, Like it could be like the chamber of commerce. It could be like Nobo for women, but go to some type of another group where you're the only real estate investor in that group. And when aunt Millie passes away or she has a house to sell, guess who they're going to call. It's about who knows about you. Mm, So good. Well, Sharon, you are a wealth of knowledge. How can people find you? What's the best way for people to connect with you, see what you're up to, reach out to you? What's the best way? The, the best way is probably to come over to the blog, the Louisville Gals Real Estate blog. And there's a link off of there to the podcast. You can find the podcast, Let's Talk Real Estate Investing on Apple or wherever you listen. But that's kind of a central hub. Uh, There's a link off of there to my course, Probate Investing Simplified. But I have somewhere thereabouts of 900 pieces of content. So I'm sure you can find what you're looking for. (laughs) Awesome. Well, Sharon, it has been an absolute pleasure. Um, You talked about all the things that I love to talk about and had so many good nuggets. So um, really appreciate you spending your time with us. And um we're going to probably see each other here soon. Are you going to the event mm-hmm. in September? Okay, great. So Sharon and I are part of a mastermind uh, that we'll be seeing each other, which is all the more reason why you want to be networking with people. So Sharon, again, thank you so much. Until next, guy, next time, guys. Peace.